My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Liz Moyer Benferhat. Liz is a healer with a big question and a big dream. The question is, how do we heal ourselves collectively in the face of the damage and the change that our, our entire planet is facing as our climate shifts, as our cultures shift, as we continue to fill more and more of the limited and precious space we have on this beautiful planet of ours? How do we take care of each other? How do we care for the worlds that we are a part of and that we come from? And her big dream is that we find a way to answer those questions and that that is in fact possible, that our individual journeys, journeys of healing can also become collective journeys. She draws from an incredibly rich and deep set of practices and disciplines. She has a background in systems design, applied research and in international sustainable development, and uh, deep lived experience facilitating community-based approaches to emotional healing and relational consciousness. From psychology to spirituality to the human body, Liz brings together all of these elements to create spaces where people can come together, grieve for what they've lost, and begin to heal from that loss and find a way forward in the face of all that we still have to reckon with. This conversation is a beautiful inquiry into what collective healing is, and you'll hear us working with that edge because it's something that it's never been done on a global scale before. And that's how big Liz's dream is. <sighs> so let's get settled in and hear what Liz has for us. Hey, Liz. Hey, Andy. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Welcome. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. Thanks. It's so good to see you and meet you and have you in this space. Right back at you. It's good to be here and nice mm. to meet you too. I'm, I'm glad and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be together and see what comes through. Yeah. Our, our mutual friend, Michael Stern, connected us, who is also a guest on the show. I can't remember what the episode number was, but anyone, I really trust his intuition. Mm. And as soon as he said, hey, you should talk to Liz. And I, and I explored a bit more about what you're up to in the world. I said, yep, that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm really glad you, you said yes to that. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Mm. Yeah. And thanks to Michael Stern too. Yeah. I feel like he's, uh, yeah, we could have a whole separate conversation about that. That's great, right. Another podcast. Great Another podcast. We'll do it. We'll do like our love for Michael. I'll get all the guests who love Michael together. And do that. <laughs> That's one. right. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <An> <laughs> uh, so uh, one of the things that I said when I learned a bit more about your work that I was like, oh yeah is you, you are talking about what you do in the world through this lens of collective healing. In other words, the healing of how I interpret that is the healing of many, whether that's a group or an organization or a nation or a planet, right? Versus individual healing, which maybe for me evokes um, ther a ther one-on-one -on -one therapy session or a one-on-one -on -one, um, kind of massage or energy healing session, right? Like there's sort of stuff that people do in these one-on-one -on -one spaces that often can be really transformative and life-changing. And it sounds like you're exploring how to bring that to more than one person at a time. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it is. And it's, uh, 
one part inquiry and one part practice, which I imagine it'll always be. And uh, it's part of the reason why um, I'm so grateful for this path and this calling that I'm on. Um, You know, the way that I currently think about and play with this concept of collective healing is uh, both from this idea and this observation that it's helpful for people to have space and resources and tools that support them in processing collectively shared wounds Mm. as it relates to environmental, social, political, economic, cultural challenges. Mm. Right. Um, So my background and journey um, is based in a career and path of service and social change work and sustainable development work. So um, I, I, and it's so cool to see how all these things come back around and connect with each other. But it was, um, you know, I've always been a feeler. I've always (laughs) been one of those individuals where my emotions uh, play a large part in the way that I experience the world. And, um, it was, I was on a path of psychology, um, early on, you know, I'm thinking back to college, my college years. Um, but it was my first time reading about extreme poverty in sub-Saharan Africa, my first sociology class that I was like, Whoa, I just had this huge emotional experience around it, this huge um, feeling of just strong sensations in my body. And I was like, if I can channel this in the right way, you know, if I can like take this emotional energy and, you know, in my like psych nerdiness, I was like, if I can sublimate this, I think I could do really, (laughs) I think I could do really cool stuff with this. (laughs) So Flash forward now, you know, 15 years later, after working um, in the social justice, social impact, international development, sustainable development, poverty reduction space, um, really seeing a gap within that field and within uh, what was available to my colleagues and the communities that um, I have been part of, just seeing a, a lack of those resources and opportunities to really um, digest and process the existential and huge in scale um, topics that we're talking about, Mm. whether it's the climate crisis, whether it's intergenerational poverty and structural inequality, whether it's, um, I mean, the list goes on, right? Mm. The, um, you know, there's this um, real, um, reality and opportunity of, um, you know, the reality being that, um, you know, fields like international development are moving towards a systemic approach to understanding something like poverty reduction or to understand any of these different, many varying issues. Um, and in that way, right, we're training ourselves to think in more complex terms. Yeah. Right. We're, yeah. we're, developing these capacities to hold complexity. And um, from what I've seen out there, there's a lot of opportunities to do that at that cognitive intellectual level, Mm. but there's lacking those opportunities to do that at the emotional Mm. psycho spiritual level Mm. of like how to hold conflicting realities um, within oneself at the same time, as it relates to social progress, as it relates to political change, um, and as it relates to the changes going on in our, in our environment, in our world. Um, so, you know, collective healing for me, um, both has this very practical application of creating opportunities that can support change makers in that dimension of the work can like bring it down into the body and, um, acknowledge the uh, importance both at like a resilience level, um, at like a human level, at a team level to, um, you know, create space and opportunities to process and digest these big ass topics and all the emotional energy that comes with it. Um, 
And there's other another deeper level of it for me of where uh, I believe and see that there is um, by creating space and holding space for um, these collectively shared wounds, um, there is the opportunity for the deeper consciousness shifts to take place that um, I humbly believe are really at the at the deeper level, you know, at that, at that deeper level that's needed to actually shift our system um, and support the, the transformation that's going on on every level of our system right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So. Uh, Beautiful. Yeah. Sign. So where do I sign up? <laughs> <laughs> we heal for all.com. So it sounds like in a way, one thing that came through is that as we collectively, or at least as some of us attempt to help all of us think more in more complex terms, you are recognizing that if we're not also learning how to feel and emote in more complex terms, like really understand what's going on inside of us and between us, that the the shift that you're describing simply won't happen. Is Mm. that right? That's right. Yeah, that's a great way to to synthesize it. Um, That's a great way to synthesize it. And maybe you you could say more about, so I I sense that I have an intuitive understanding of what you mean when you use the phrase collective wound. And I sense that, that if we can clarify that even more, more that a, a sort of understanding of what it means to heal might start to emerge. Um, so, so for instance, you mentioned, um, you mentioned climate change as one sort of realm of incredible complexity and, and global impact. How does that show up as a wound? Like how am I wounded by that? And how are we, if you and I were starting to form a collective, how are we wounded by that? And how are you helping us heal from that? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, there's a lot of different parts in what you just shared there and I appreciate all of it. Um, I, the, and the one that's sticking out the most for me that wants to be spoken to first is, um, um, really, um, just this principle of practice that, um, all that I offer and explore really is based in is that, you know, um, we are all healers. You know, we all have this capacity for healing. Um, so, um, yeah, just this invitation to explore that together and to actualize that, that knowing and that reality within all of us. Um, so I think that's actually in response to how you're helping us heal. (laughs) And maybe that's my own, um, yeah, that's a great place to start though. Like there's what a, there's a sense that sounds like you're actually inviting people to connect to an, an innate capacity, some part of them or something inside of them that actually is healing. Right. Is that right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Which I think is uh, very different than um, a lot of our transactional thinking as a culture mm. of, um, you know, and of course there are people who hold and have different skills, different knowledge, different, just, you know, um, you know, types of natural intelligences to them, et cetera. That's, you know, the diversity of this world that we live in and it's the wealth of life in so many ways. Um, and there, you know, um, just the cool cutting edge research coming out of the fields of neuroscience and clinical psychology mm-hmm. really point to this innate ability of, of us to be um, healing oriented people, you know, of of our capacity to heal and transform and that our system is, is seeking that type of equilibrium, if you will. Um, Mm. Mm. um, And I sense then the dot that starts to connect for me. And by the way, I was reading a, just today was reading a a bit of research around uh, the role that the heart plays, the organ of the heart, which is also sort of the center of emotion, neurologically actually like there's there's some clear evidence that that emotion is happening there more than in the brain where thinking is happening 
Oh. Uh, and, and so I just want to like underline that, yeah, there's for anyone who cares to double click into the research about how our whole bodies are involved with that sort of equilibrium state that you just pointed to. It's just remarkable. You know, we've been such an above the neck culture for so long. And as a result, we're missing out on just remarkable amounts of understanding about what we actually are and how we actually work. That's right. It's yeah. really, um, it's really cool. It feels like a, a frontier that is um, continuing to be explored and, and, and it, it is really interesting, you know, this, this cutting edge research just hasn't, you know, our emotional literacy as a culture, it's, um, you know, we're still, we're still in progress, which we always will be. But there's just <laughs> a very, that a seems like a very kind and empathic way to, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but the dot I was connecting was that, that if, if we have in us the, this innate healing capacity and a sort of and a sort of draw towards equilibrium or balance or harmony, then, then what I start to imagine is when you describe a collective wound, like ecological disaster that, you know, that whatever impact it has on you um, in terms of your physical life or your mental life or your emotional life, that it's sort of, that, that is something that is actively and maybe even persistently and perpetually over many generations, even, making it harder, if not very, very hard for you to enter into that state of, of harmony and equilibrium. Mm, Is that right? mm, mm. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I'd say so. Like, um, yeah, I, um, what's coming to mind to me is around how, again, from this emerging field of research or really understanding the function of uh, the evolutionary function of emotions mm. and how best to um, relate to our emotions and understand our emotions is that at its core, you know, emotions are informing us about our system and the system we're around or ourselves and our environment and our needs and our desires and whether or not those needs and desires are being met, if our boundaries are being crossed, you know, if we need to take action, right? There's um, this real opportunity to form a relationship with our emotions in a way where we can start to, instead of being um, consumed by them or overwhelmed by them, which is really um, common for many people, and it's um, one of the reasons why I think people really avoid getting into them because they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get sucked down into this hole mm. and then I'm never going to come out. Or, um, you know, the cultural teaching that, you know, it's weak to have these feelings to begin with. So we got to push them out. Um, mm. Then if we can learn to start listening to them, that that can then inform us on how to take action and how to show up um, and how to orient ourselves to the changes that are going on in our world. Um, so what, so, I mean, that's, there's, there's a lot of layers there, you know, and thinking specifically about the climate crisis and that example, um, you know, there are conversations being had. I'm thinking about this one, um, author is writing, his name is Zewa Woodbury about climate trauma and really looking at, you know, we've had information as a society about the negative impacts of global warming for decades now, if not like a solid century, right? And um, we can look to, you know, things like, you know, so the question is like, why have we not taken more action on this, right? And there are many different answers and responses that um, one can, can um, you know, come up with in, in response to that question. And one that he puts forward is this idea that the, the concept of the climate crisis is so overwhelming that it actually activates this like collective dissociation mechanism in response to the, the trauma that is um, the reality of the way that our system negatively impacts the livability of our world. And, um, you know, the amount of, of, of loss and death and um, let alone thinking about future generations. 
Um, and could you just say for those who might not know what a dissociation mechanism is, like just say another couple words about that as a response to trauma? Yeah, yeah. So um, our our system, our nervous system, and our bodies have really clever ways of keeping ourselves. Um, um, protected and again in that kind of state of of equilibrium like we were talking about earlier and um, uh, a a trauma you know trauma often um, is when anything is too too much too fast too overwhelming for the nervous system to be able to process and digest and integrate and um, make sense of in in the moment right Mm -hmm. either because Mm -hmm. At a developmental level, we don't have that cognitive capacity yet, or maybe at an environmental, familial, relational level, we don't have the support to be able to um, to to do that healing work. Um, and, or you know, we've got two kids and three jobs, and you know what I mean. There's so many reasons why we might not have the the time, the space, and the capacity to do so. So, um, what will happen um, with unresolved? traumatic material within within the body is we all have this like window of tolerance mm. right this window of tolerance that we can think of you know like oh something something bothers me something activates me you know it'll if i stay within this window of tolerance i can stay regulated to mm. a certain mm. to a certain degree right maybe my heart will race a little bit but i can still keep myself grounded you know feel my feet on the floor etc um but um Sometimes what can happen is um, unresolved traumatic material when it gets activated or triggered, right? It can take us outside of that window of tolerance and either take us like into a deep spiral of um, more like a depressive state, Mm. or it can take us into more of a dissociated state of where we actually um, like... um, uh, This is the way that I conceptualize it and think about it and... um, I'm sure like my husband, who's a psychotherapist and psychiatrist could speak to it a little bit, even in more technical terms. But, you know, I think about dissociation in terms of like becoming floaty and coming out of your, you know, like being coming ungrounded and moving Mm. up versus and outside of that window of tolerance Mm. versus coming Mm. into a more depressive state, which would be like going below that window of tolerance Mm. and getting like Mm. stuck in more of that. Um, Mm. So it's to me, it evokes kind of like an escape mechanism of sorts right Right. by by floating away and out by disassociating from whatever that experience is you're not uh you're not you're not experiencing the intensity of it at least in that moment is that right yeah yeah i think that's Mm. a great way to summarize Mm. it yeah Mm. right and i really appreciate your your definition of trauma which is sort of just anything that overwhelms our nervous system right so if you're a three-year-old and you hear a really loud truck backfire or something nearby, that might be really traumatic for you. And you might not even remember that by the time that you're five or six, but it's still your nervous system was impacted by that because it was like really loud and scary and you didn't know what it was. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And we all have different um, ways that we respond to trauma too, you know, like, kids growing up in the same household where there's traumatic experiences don't all walk away with the same um, impacts of that. Mm. Right. Mm. So just to add another layer of complexity of like <laughs> trying to, you know, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's a great way to think about trauma. And, you know, it's a, it's a word that's gaining popularity in mainstream culture, which is really great because it means it's more on people's radars. And I think then there's also that risk of like, um, over oversimplifying something or so, or things getting lost within mm. it. Um, yeah, it's such, I am noticing that, that um, I don't know, this is a good use of our conversation, but there's a part of me that is realizing that might be really meaningful to just have a whole conversation about what trauma is in a really detailed level, because it's such a heavily used word now that I sense that there are even people who, who I, that a lot of people who are experiencing trauma hear the word trauma and don't identify with it and go like, Oh no, that's whatever. That's BS or that's not me. Or that's, you know, I didn't, I didn't, something super terrible didn't happen to me when I was a kid or, you know, like whatever they, they might imagine trauma to mean uh, detracts from the wisdom and insight that you're sharing, which is to say all of us 
have physiological systems that respond to our environment. And emotions are a way to process our response to that environment. And that we all, like going back to um, me identifying as a feeler, it's part of what has helped me even feel more comfortable identifying in that way is coming to learn that uh, we all fall on a spectrum in that regards too. It's similar to sexuality. It's Mm. similar to other types of intelligences, Mm. right? Where we all fall on a spectrum around our um, emotional sensitivity and our ability to sense, almost have that like extra sensory experience at maybe a clairsentient level or wherever it might be for people. Um, So uh, yeah, it it really, and and that's where, you know, um, anything when it comes to healing to to seeking out support for um um our needs and our feelings and all these other good things you know it really is this personal journey mm. you know it really is you know and, and the cool part is, is that we live in this day and age where there's so many different resources and community spaces and tools out there um that we really have the opportunity to kind of see what works best for us and, and play around with that Um, yeah so i want to like day i want to go deeper into how you play around with that and before we do i want to close the loop on this collective wound conversation so so we you started to tune into the fact that something like the climate crisis evokes trauma responses in lots of people maybe even whole collectives of people because there are so many really disastrous repercussions. I mean, loss of home, loss of life, loss of identity, loss of resources, like loss of nature's gifts to keep us alive and thriving. Like there's all this stuff happening. And what you are starting to point to is that one response is a, is a disassociative response. And, and I wonder if you could just say a bit more about like how you're just, just, you know, speaking as you, not necessarily as the final arbiter on on this but really just as you how you see the dissociative response showing up we're like oh yeah there there's collective dissociation right there like can mm. you just say a bit more about that mm. yeah it's a good question um i mean i think this is where we start to get into cultural manifestations of things cultural manifestations of certain patterns of re- response And um, this is where uh, conversations in research and the sociological concept of the collective consciousness really comes into play Mm. for me. Okay. You're going to have to unpack Uh, that one. There sounds like there's a lot of juice in there. For sure. There really is. Yeah, there really is. Um, uh, So Durkheim is, is the dude's name, French sociologist back in the 19th century who really first coined this term of the collective consciousness. And he uses it to describe essentially the amalgamation of all beliefs and practices and ideas that exist within a society at any given time hmm. and uh, manifest in terms of the way that institutions go about doing what they're doing schools churches at the family level right essentially the manifestation of culture and um this idea that the collective consciousness is this like body of these ideas and beliefs that um both um are certainly an aggregate of the of of all individuals right it's a product of every individual consciousness but it actually also exists beyond individual consciousness. Mm. Mm. And maybe even like kind of pours back into individual consciousness. And That's right. Yeah. It's this like interacting feedback loop where, um, you know, if, if one individual passes on, you know, the collective consciousness doesn't pass on, pass on with them, right? Like the collective consciousness still lives outside of each individual consciousness um, but at the same time, because we are um, in relationship and, and we are participating in in this collective consciousness, both by being impacted by it and as well as co-creating it, right? And in terms of co-creating it, in terms of whether it's on a baseline of the way we interact with each other and 
build our family and live our lives, but then also when it comes to policy, organization, leadership styles, um, all that other good stuff. Um, so for me, when we're talking about identifying collective dissociation within our society, I think what we then turn to is looking at different cultural patterns at mm. play. Mm. So the fact that we haven't been able to garner enough um, political support for this issue to really put the pressure on our politicians to show up for this and take action in the way that's needed. Mm. Right. And again, you know, this isn't the the only answer to this. Right. You know what I mean? We can also look at the way that the structures that be um, protect those who have the most capital and power and have interest in keeping the fossil fuel industry alive and everything like that. Um, but, you know, I think that's that's and that's kind of that's more of like a, a you know, headier meta exploration of this concept of collective healing that I think is really, I mean, it's, it evokes a lot of, a lot in me, which is why I'm so drawn to it and interested in it. Cause I'm like, okay, cool. If we can explore this at this cultural pattern level, you know, like what, you know, where then we can see manifestations of it in our universities or in our home lives, you know, like what can we take from what we know about individual healing Mm. Right. And apply mm. it to these cultural patterns. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. So, so let's not this, I feel like we're really now starting to get into your explorations and the work that you're playing with in the world. Is that right? That's right. That's yeah, right. So let's, like, let's, let's go deeper here. What have you been noticing or what have you been experimenting with when you, when you go have that aha moment? And I'm, I'm sure you're not the only one who's had it, but I, I, hearing you talk about it in that way, like what is the relationship between the individual and the collective in both directions? And what might we learn about individual healing that then applies to collective? That's like a really, that feels like a really juicy question. And, and I want to hear you say more about like what you're learning about that and what you're seeing there. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm grateful for the opportunity to, um, put words to it and speak it out loud because it's something that just keeps living through me. And so mm. it, you know, um, full disclosure, half baked and will be forever. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. Let's, let's like turn up the temperature a little bit here. Let's bake it a little bit more and see what comes up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, you know, um, well, so there's two things that are coming to mind. Um, and the, one is around, um, so, so the one is around like, just at like a practice level in terms of like creating community space where people can come together and, um, speak about these different, their, their personal lived experiences with these, these topics. Um, and, um, with that, you know, that's, um, you know, a seemingly simple practice, but what that helps to do is, um, and what I've seen it help to do is really to put like language and form to things that people um, are experiencing or didn't even know they were experiencing in some ways. Um, I'm thinking about the climate crisis again, in particular of where um, I had this one young person after a climate circle. So I host these circles, which are um, supportive community space um, that really do take a more emotion-centered, healing-centered approach to um, to you know uh, these different topics. And him just walking away and being like, "Yo, I didn't even know that I had climate anxiety," but hearing somebody else talk about it and describe what they were feeling, it helped me put words to a part of my experience. You know, so um, just on again that more practical. Um, level of, um, helping us, you know, we know emotions like to be validated. They like to have, be like, um, witnessed, right. You know, so essentially applying what we know about, um, emotion, uh, emotional processing to this community, uh, this, this community-based emotional processing approach, um, is like a practical example of, of, um, how I see that at play, there's something, could it, would it be all right if I oh, jump please. in for a second here? Yeah, yeah so there's something that, that comes up for me that maybe relates to that insight that your participant had. Like, well, I didn't even know 
that I was experiencing it. But now that I see it mirrored in someone else, I have words for it. And I can feel like I actually have more access to the emotion that's there and can talk about it more than I was able to before. Is that sort of, is that, am I understanding? Yeah. So if I'm taking us off on a tangent, tell me, but I just, there, we can steer it back, but I'm just sort of tuning into like, there's some people who might say, hear that story, or there's even parts of me who hear that story and be like, well, do you feel better that you know that you have climate anxiety now? Right. Like isn't ignorance bliss, right? Like there's sort of that, like, so actually I'll just ask the question rather than, than try and make sense of it. Like what's beneficial about us becoming more aware of, of something like the anxiety we feel around climate change and how that might impact us. What's, what's, Shouldn't I just keep my head in the sand? <laughs> Such a good question. It's a really good question. And I mean, um, I'm sure some activists would be really pissed at me for saying this, but like, if that's your choice, that's your choice to keep your head, you know, which just circles back to um, my personal belief that really, um, you know, we, we all have to be empowered to make our own decisions and figure out what's best for us in, in our own lives. Um, but, you know, the the benefits of becoming aware of, climate anxiety um, comes uh, to living life from, uh, um, it, it offers us the potential and the opportunity to um, live our lives with um, more, more freedom and choice, ultimately. Mm. Um, uh, this, is, this is my humble take on it. Um, you know, what happens, you know, experiencing anxiety, right? Like, yeah, we can shove it to the side, put our head in the sand um, and pretend it's not there, but that takes a lot of energy to do. Mm. It mm. takes a lot of energy to like pretend like you're not experiencing something or to repress different, you know, sensations that you're having in your body and to like push away thoughts all the time. Like that's a lot of work. <laughs> so, um, and theory and in practice by um, creating, by becoming more aware of um, the presence of an anxiety or grief in your life or pain or any of these things, um, we can then learn to be in a healthier relationship with it. Um, so for instance, um, you know, the, the presence of anger as an emotion often indicates that we need to take some kind of action. Right. Like we, you know, like my, you know, somebody just, you know, threw a brick through my window and I'm furious about it. You know, it's because I need to then, you know, do something about the fact that people are throwing bricks at my window. Right? It's like informing me about actions that I need to take. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, it can become, um, you know, it's a little bit different when we're talking about these collective issues where we often feel like we don't have a lot of control or we don't have, like, there can be a sense of helplessness in it. Like, who am I? I'm just one little person. Um, but I think that um, there, there are a lot of things that we can do, you know, like we are constantly co-creating the collective consciousness, right? We are constantly, you know, in, in the way that we, um, show up with each other, show up in our workplaces, the purchases that we make, you know, um, and that's an ongoing process, right? I think so often we're looking for really easy answers and easy solutions to any of these questions, whether it's around emotions and personal well-being to the climate crisis, to racial justice, to poverty, to structural inequality, right? Like we're like, you know, I, I had Many people, especially over the summer with just the racial reckoning that's been going on, people being like, Liz, just tell me what to do. <laughs> like, like, host something because you'll let us know if we're doing something mm. wrong. You know, if we're using the wrong words. Or, and, you know, I, I definitely appreciate just that um, desire to become more culturally sensitive and, um, and, and all that good stuff. And, you know, there's also a, a point within... Um, within showing up for any of these, these complex topics and causes where it really does become um, our own personal imperative to have to um, come up with our own answers and understandings of what's going on based on our, you know, our soul's purpose for being here mm -hmm. based on our circumstances um, 
in terms of our lifestyles, our families, our, you know, um, so I don't know yeah, when, yeah, that, take, her, awesome. take that thread. <laughs> there's so I, many I threads there that I want to play with. Yeah. There's, I mean, one, I really appreciate the insight that not being aware of a feeling is not the same as not having, or, or not being aware of an emotion is not the same as not having it. Mm, mm, like mm. whether you, whether the, your intellect knows about your anxiety or not, doesn't mean it's not there. In fact, in some ways, the fact that it doesn't know it's not there mm. is probably using up even more of your mental, emotional, cognitive, energetic bandwidth than you realize. Mm. And I think that's sort of like the, and that, that does kind of connect to, maybe why I asked the question, which is this sort of re- growing realization I'm having in my own life mm. that when I retreat from emotions or try and contain them, like I often experience anxiety kind of in between my heart and my gut, kind of a little mm. bit behind my heart and then like below it. And when I kind of try and keep it there, it just gets like, it just intensifies. But what I've learned is that my body and my system can actually hold quite a lot more than, than my head thinks. Mm. So it's sort of like, now I can say, all right, all right, just like let it flow. And suddenly I can feel sensation in lots of parts of my body. And that doesn't mean the the underlying cause of the anxiety has gone away, but my ability to, to engage with it has shifted. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I'm using way less energy. And then as to your point, now we can really ask the question, well, what do I do next? Because mm-hmm. if I'm just like trying to contain it or if I've disassociated and I can't even see it, mm-hmm. It doesn't mean my body's not trying to do something with it, right? I think I feel like that's, that's right. what you're pointing towards. That's right. That's right. And we have such few opportunities, in my view, to um, learn how to and practice being present with the emotional energy that just naturally and normally comes with being in tune and engaged with our world's most pressing issues. Mm. We have a lot of opportunities to intellectualize about it, to learn about it from this cognitive place, um, to strategize and organize around these things, to take action, which are dope. You know, like we need that, right? Yeah. <laughs> really, we yeah. very, very wholeheartedly need that, um, especially on that like evidence-based, like systemically understanding what works, what doesn't work type of a thing um, systematically. But, you know, the opportunity to, you know, train ourselves and practice holding that complexity from the, um, at the emotional level, at the embodied level. Um, you know, there, there are few and far between opportunities for that. And, um, you know, we're, we're understanding, you know, our, our world is becoming more holistic in its understanding of mm. what's the most optimal way to function and go about doing things, you know, and, I think this is like the next dimension of this kind of whole systems approach to a, to um, addressing these global and cultural issues is by bringing the emotional and psycho-spiritual dimensions into it as well. Yeah, I love it. And I love that there's a possible future state to kind of pick up on this, at least one other thread I heard and that beautiful response of like, the sort of longing for someone who already knows how to do like Liz, just tell me how to like, tell me how to feel my feelings. Right. <laughs> tell me what, tell right. me how to talk about my feelings in a way that's, that's correct or safe or whatever, you know, whatever the longing is there. Like even that is a feeling, right? There's a, a bit of fear or anxiety about doing it wrong. Mm. And, and like that there's great. Oh, okay. So you're afraid that you're going to do it wrong. Let's feel that. Like, let's not just think about that. Let's feel, how does that feel in your body? Mm. Right. And then it's like, we actually have this so much more capacity to hold and channel and direct all of this energy, this emotion, this energy in motion that's like moving through us. Mm. And uh, I just love that you, like, it sounds to me like you're helping people in a really gentle and safe group way, start to live into that and to feel what's possible when, they actually notice what's going on below their neck. Right. Right. Yeah. Thanks for saying that and reflecting that back. That's my, that's my intention. And, you know, with any of these cultural wounds, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of different layers that come along with doing that. Mm. Right. The, the, the how 
is, you know, the, 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 what is, is clear, right? Like supporting people in this collective healing process, but then the how is, um, you know, such a humbling thing to step into and to continue to experiment with, um, um, because safety, you know, isn't, you know, just the intention of creating safe space isn't enough, Right. Especially when we're talking about intergenerational wounds related mm. to racism or related to any kind of subjugation and inequality. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, um, but, but, you know, I think the more that, um, the more, and, but the cool thing is, is that more and more of these kind of community space and, and like identity specific community spaces out there for people to really find, you know, the right, community and facilitator and approach that that works um for for them so um you know it's my humble hope that um those who enjoy the way that i go about doing it um find me and that um uh you know part of my mission is also to support others in bringing their unique healing wisdom to these collective topics too um which is something that's kind of becoming more and um in terms of offerings and trainings and stuff like that in the future for me. But, um, yeah, that's awesome. I have a, I have some other things that are coming up, but I, if I'm remembering correctly, as we started to take, started to bake this, this question between the connection of individual and collective a bit more. So one thing emerged is that you're simply creating group spaces for the, the emotional access and processing and feeling and healing so that, so that people can start to kind of mirror off of each other and learn from each other and go deeper than they might on their own. So that was sort of one, that's sort of my attempt to distill down what we just talked about. But I sense that there were some other, maybe there's some other areas where you're experimenting or learning or other dots you wanted to connect around that. Is, is that right? If so let's look at that a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, on a practical offering level, I also have other curriculums that, um, in terms of workshops that I offer, um, in particular with like policy and development practitioner folks, so folks who work in like the international sustainable development space. Um, and that's really, you know, to, to offer a compliment, like a complimentary, um, curriculum to, um, very heady, you know, like the policy wonks out there, you're doing such great, awesome work, but just to kind of complement and balance that out. Um, but you know, the, the other stuff that I'm working on, it is really quite still in its conceptualization phase and isn't coming in the form of writing. And, um, you know, I think as we, as a society continue to, um, integrate and acknowledge the reality of trauma in our, um, in our society and just the, the links between, um, trauma and oppression and, um, figuring out how best to, um, like what to do about that. Um, I, I think that's, that's part of where this question of what can we take from what we know about individual healing and apply it to the, to the collective. Um, one, one concrete example that I've been chewing on lately, um, was after reading um, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff's book, Coddling of the American Mind. Does that yeah, ring any? It doesn't, but yeah, it sounds, it sounds provocative. Give it, say more. Provocative for sure. You know, pro- provocative for sure. It started off as a 2015 article in the Atlantic and then they published a book about it. Um, but essentially they look at the, the phenomenon of what's taking place within universities around the, um, you know, increase in safe spaces and trigger warnings that are being integrated within classroom settings and looking at some more, or like the disinvitation of certain speakers coming Mm. to campus. Um, Mm. um, uh, So, um, and they, and they point to some like more, um, uh, the word extremes coming up for me, but some more extreme cases of where like at Harvard law school um, students advocating for, um, you know, removing the word rape within like rape law classes in order to try to um, be mindful and sensitive to students who may have experienced sexual assault. Um, And, um, you know, they, they fall more in the camp of kind of being like, 
you know, society is getting weaker. What are, what are, you know, the, you know, what are we, what are we doing here? You know, this is, you know, you know, students shouldn't be, and, and what's, what they do, what I was really interested in and what they did with this article is they actually took um, a therapeutic model called cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. and um, took principles from that and applied it to make a case for um, why, why, you know, students shouldn't run away from, and this is using their language, you know, it's not the way that I, I perceive it, but, um, and so I thought that was really interesting that like, essentially they're, they're doing, taking this, this therapeutic modality that works at an individual level and applying principles to it, to make mm-hmm. their critique about the cultural phenomenon of what's going on on campuses. And, um, for me, my perspective on it and what I think they lack in it is a bit of a, of a more of an understanding of trauma and more of a trauma informed understanding of what's going on, which is very much the lens that I take within it. And, um, you know, what, what I see within this, um, you know, like students wanting to advocate for the word rape to be taken out of rape law classes, for instance, you know, like, um, I think it's, again, it's this like, um, trying to become, it's like, it's like a cultural progress in a sense of being like, listen, let's not just assume that everyone here is a white cisgender man and has had these experiences, right? Like, let's also um, assume that there are people in here who have experienced sexual assault and gender misconduct in their lives. And how can we um, reorient things in a way that essentially creates more space for their experience and Mm. cares for that and addresses that in some way. Um, And I, and I think um, what, um, you know, what, what I kind of see uh, uh, um, across several different examples similar to that is almost like um, almost getting like stuck in the trauma response, if that makes sense of, of like being like, okay, we recognize that trauma is part of this Right. Um, uh, but we, um, and this is where it's, it's still half baked. So again, I appreciate it. Yeah. Let's, let's just see where we land with it. I sense like, I think this is such a, you're actually, what I'm loving right now is that by bringing up that particular book and that topic, you've actually sort of led us towards the place I was kind of cautiously wanting to go next, which is to say, how does collective healing play into these really polarized conversations and like political correctness would be another buzzword here that relates to what, what these two authors are calling like the coddling. Um, But there's lots more in that category, but this is just one example. So yeah, let's keep playing with it because there's some, I sense that there's like right now there's sort of this either or, Right. Either we just keep it the way it is because or and and, you know, you deal with it or we coddle you. Right. (laughs) Right. Like that's one binary way to talk about it. And it's sort of like, is there a both end? Is there like we recognize that the way it is, is an expression of the way things have been for a long time. And it doesn't just have to be that way. Right. And that each of us as individual as individuals have the capacity to hold to stay grounded, to increase our window of tolerance, as you said earlier, right? Like, so how could I personally say I'm committed to increasing my window of tolerance around something that triggers me and I'm committed to advocating for spaces where people are triggered less often. Right. Right. So I'm actually, I'm actually not being called. I'm getting stronger and I'm helping other people too. (laughs) That feels juicier to me and more meaningful to me than it's like either toughen up, deal with the word or, you know, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll call you. That sort right. of almost seems to be like a, a kind of a bit of a false argument. So I don't know. What yeah. are you, what are you, as I, as I mirror that back, what comes up for you? Totally, totally, totally. I think you're right in terms of kind of this, like either, or um, like pendulum swinging kind of in, into extreme directions. Um, um, you know, um and I think, you know, it's where some like going into some of these um, some of these current topics around that that are politically divisive and polarizing and bring up a lot of feelings for people. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, that that kind of points to the first like practical thing of collective healing that we've been talking about. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. even um, um 
supporting ourselves and having an awareness of ourselves in a way and of each other that we can kind of, um, you know, um, be able to even have these conversations to begin with. Right. Um, let alone then, um, um, and again, you know, I feel like I have to do some throat clearing here, but it's more like just, you know, there's just, I, I, there's just such deep sensitivity with all of this that I just deeply, um, am in deep reverence of. Um, and so I'm here to learn and play along with everyone. Um, but you know, this, this idea of like, kind of like cancel culture is another one, right. Where we kind of is another example of kind of this manifestation of, and, and um, and I think of, um, you know, trying to um, address different injustices and different realities in our in our world and in our culture. Um, and I think, you know, these different mechanisms of whether it's around political correctness or cancel culture, they have a time and place to them. Right. Like it's about behavior change. You know, and um, there are certain things as a society that I think we can agree on, like, you know, that's just a hard no for us. And so we we should, you know, have mechanisms in place to be able to just nix that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I'm of the humble mind that we have actually reached a certain level of social progress, political freedoms and um actually economic development in terms of just the, how well educated so many of us are, how like much access to information that we all have, um, where we're actually getting into more subtle dimensions of social progress mm-hmm. and, and social healing that actually require different mechanisms than, you know, like it requires more of that, like, like socio-emotional skills of um, both feeling like, you know, the environment that you're in will be supportive of you if you speak up and be like, yo, listen, you know, the way that you just came off, you know, it crossed a line for me and here's why, you know, like, and the other person being in a place to be able to receive that feedback and the institution as a whole, like having, you know, these kind of mediation processes or, you know, like, um, investing resources and creating time and space for communities to come or individuals to come together like that. Um, but, you know, I, I see um, just so much like a good hearted energy going into these, these um, social and political issues right now. And it's, can I cuss on this? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's fucking awesome. It's, it's, it's fucking awesome. And um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of, um, us who are motivated to take social and political action are so because of our own trauma or experience with suffering or experiencing with loss, right? It's a lot of time what fuels it. So, um, you know, how, how do we take all these different complex layers into account and, um, you know, you know, how do we essentially break the cycle of kind of like just responding from a trauma, from a traumatized space while also, um, you know, meeting ourselves where we're at right now as a, as a world and, um, ourselves as individuals and, um, yeah, I'll pause there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's, we've just opened the door to what feels like a whole second conversation. So maybe I'll just say one or two more words about what's what that evoked for me. Um, and then I'll pass it back to you to say any last last words in closing before we wrap up. Does that sound good? That sounds great. Yeah. yeah. I'm really touched by your insight that, or at least the ins- two insights I heard, one was that oftentimes when we encounter one of these strong polarities, cancel culture or political correctness is sort of too phrases to describe these polarities all of us are to a certain extent greater or lesser extent but often to a greater extent having a trauma response to those polarities Mm. and and so then what i make of that is is there's sort of an unfortunate feedback loop built in and that if i'm standing on on quote-unquote one side of that debate not really a debate maybe that one side of that polarity and you're trying to quote unquote, shut me down, whatever side I'm standing on, if I'm feeling that shutdown, that's just going to heighten my trauma response because shutting someone down is 
in most cases can cause trauma, even if it's trauma with a little T, right? So it's sort of this like, you know, just, I could just see how we get into these spin cycles that, that create so much unnecessary and unintended animosity. The end result being that one side's trying to win over the other. Right. And so you're saying like, like, I love all of you and we need a more nuanced way to do this at the individual, at the relational, at the institutional, at the collective, we need more capacity to hold steady when someone triggers us and to honor that not everyone's going to have the same capacity that we have when we, when they're triggered. And so it's like, how do we do that dance of saying like, I hear you and I want to talk more as opposed to, I disagree with you back off (laughs) or you're wrong or you're the enemy. Um, And I just, yeah, like, I guess my hope as I hear you start to think through this really wonderful question of individual to collective is that we can somehow slow down enough because we're just so fast. Everything's so damn fast. It's like, I hope we can just slow down enough to see that there's space for something more nuanced and something deeper and more integrated than we've given ourselves permission for to th- up to this point. God bless. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I mean, thank you yeah. for inviting that, making that invitation. I, I just, I don't know that I've, yeah, I feel really hopeful. And then also a little bit like, then, there, then I'm back into like, well, how the hell are we ever going to do that? <laughs> so then I see my maybe like my own trauma response is a little bit here right so I don't know but I just would love to like as as we come to our close I want to circle back to you and in, in, in this sort of space of baking that we've been mm. in here like what's alive for you now that you'd like to share or close with just a whole lot of gratitude just a whole lot of gratitude I mean I think and what you just um pointed out there at the end of like that kind of um that the, the the tribes right like what side of an argument or an issue do you stand on and how you know cutting into more of this nuance kind of begins to dissolve some of that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um that's my hope and prayer for what is uh what what is um just possible here it's it's what i hold open uh, just hope and possibility for fierce hope uh, to <laughs> to bring it back to your slogan, which yeah. is so awesome. Um, is that by yeah by even you know and 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 I think sometimes we also do. Um, I know I get caught in this too of like okay, well, what's actionable? What you know? What can we take and put this into you know? But I I also am of the belief of that you know even just this thought experiment and conceptualizing around this and seeing what kind of shifts it occurs in our own bodies and our own worldviews around this, um, is also, um, equally valuable. Um, so I really appreciate the opportunity to come together with you today and, um, further give birth to this and do that. Uh, Cause I feel it within myself right now too. Mm, this has been an honor. Liz, thank you. And uh, I hope that at some point, I know we're separated both by distance and and, uh, and pandemic, but hope at some point when the timing is right, I can sit in one of the circles that you hold. And I hope that people listening in can find their way into one of those. And I know I'm sure you're doing stuff virtually too. And yeah, so if anyone feels called to learn more, where should they go to learn more about what you're up to? Yeah, you can find me online at my website. It's wehealforall.com. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. um, And I'm getting a a little YouTube channel up and running too. Nice. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, all of practice. (laughs) Beautiful. Well, thank you, Liz. This has been a real treat. And thanks everyone for listening in. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for tuning in to the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill with support from Kelly Serqua and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. 
And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep the show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.